This is, started our new series in Malachi last week, and it's always, uh, in some measure, unique to go through an Old Testament prophet, uh, not only because of the times, the world we live in versus the world they lived in, but but also because of the, the way that they worshipped. Uh, it's unique. It's unique because they were looking forward to the coming of Jesus, and we now, um, while we look forward to the coming of Jesus, we base our faith on what Jesus Christ has done. So let me, before we read our passage here, the last part of chapter 1, let me make a few observations that I think may, may help us. Our passage is primarily focused on Old Testament priests. We don't have priests like this anymore per se. Priests in the Old Testament, they were to teach the law, they were to enforce the law, they were to make sure the people were worshiping God according to his instructions. And what we see, not only in this passage, but our passage next week, what we see is the priests weren't doing their jobs. They weren't leading the people correctly in worship. And and I I would love to, I don't know if I would love to or not, but this is a perfect sermon to preach in Presbytery or at General Assembly to a bunch of pastors. But it is important, so it is important for leaders in the church to consider what Malachi is saying here. But there's a lot more going on in this passage than that because the actions of the priests had a powerful impact and influence over the people. We say it a lot in this church. As the leadership goes, so goes the church. It it is very true. I, I don't want that to become just some mantra for us where we just say as the leadership goes, so goes the church because it is very, very true. Leaders are important. But for our purposes this morning, I'd like for you to keep two things in mind that I think are, are pivotal, not only for um, priestly work in the church, but, but also for all of us as Christians. A good faithful priest has to have love. Love for God. They have to really love God. In the Old Testament, they were the ones who were to act as go-betweens with God and man. They were mediators. They were helping the people understand who God was. We saw last week the love of God for his people. And if we don't really believe that God loves us, we have a hard time loving him back. Well, the priests were there to help people understand that God loved them and wanted to be near them, so they would need to love God. But if they're going to love God, they also have to love the people. Love is a very important part of Malachi. Love's a very important part of the Bible. Love's a very important part of Christianity. That's the first thing, love. Genuine biblical love, not, not as a feeling, but more than a feeling, it's a commitment. Secondly, we do, since the Reformation, actually before the Reformation, we believe in the the priesthood of all believers. So every person here, man or woman, young or old, 
All of us today, if you know Jesus Christ, we directly offer sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. There, there are no more animal sacrifices anymore because of the coming of Christ. Christ is the last substitute, the last sacrifice. Because of Christ, we are all called to offer up our bodies, offer up our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. And as we do that, we minister to other people. If we're seeking to serve the Lord, we are going to seek to serve and minister to other people. We're all called, everybody here, we're all called to do priestly things. So application in this passage is going to be very broad. So keep those two things in mind. Priests, they need to love God. They need to love their brothers and sisters, the people in the world. And in some sense, we are all called to priestly work. Let me read this passage. It's, it's Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. This is God's word. It's printed for you in your bulletins if you don't have your Bibles. Malachi, by the way, is the last, I'm sure Wes said this last week, the the last book closes off the Old Testament canon. It's to, it's to help the people of God be held until the coming of, of Jesus Christ. Let's read uh, beginning in verse 6, chapter 1. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despised my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With, with such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that, we, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted. Its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who is a male in his flock, who vows it, yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be, will be feared among the nations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would give us Hearts to hear from you this morning, remind us of who you are, help us to live in light of that, in Christ's name, amen. So God is, God is very interested in a genuine relationship with you. 
with you. Priests were there to help the people understand that God wanted that relationship. Sacrifices were provided as a means to bring those people close to God. But I have to tell you, how, how we view God, how we understand God impacts the relationship that we are going to have with him. The, the, the view that we have, and, and this is one of the things that we're going to consider this morning before we go through the text, the, the view that we have or the understanding that we have concerning what God thinks of us impacts everything else that we do. If you know the God who created you, you have a good relationship with him. It provides an understanding with who you are, both your good and your bad, your strengths and your weaknesses. And if you better understand who you are, you're going to have or going to be able to have certain or better relationships with other people. It all begins with a relationship with God. It begins on how you view God, how you understand who he is. It also determines how we view our circumstances, our situations. Understanding who God is and how he looks at us. So I I did a little survey this week. I thought I'd share it with you. I wanted to know um, what people thought in the church or how they viewed God. And I didn't want to ask the adults because the adults would probably be tempted to try to impress me with their knowledge of God. And I didn't want to hear from them. So I went to the children, children from 5 to 12 in this congregation. I didn't actually go to the children. I went to their parents. And I asked them to ask their children anywhere between 5 and 11, I think, years old, how do they understand God? How do they view God? Here are some of the answers that I got from our children in this congregation. Looking around for them, I guess they're all gone. So I don't have to tell, I was going to have to say 15 answers. Now I only have to say about five or six. One young lady said, he's like a father. He's kind. He's loving. You can't always understand what he's doing, but he's there. And he knows everything. That's a pretty good definition. He is the, this is another one, he is the king of the world and he's my father. And then in parentheses, I don't know how they explain this to their parents. He goes, he's the king of the world, he's my father. In parentheses, technically dad's my father. But he forgives us like my dad forgives us. He shows mercy to us like my dad shows mercy to us. He loves us and cares for us and is generous. Here's my favorite. This word came up over and over again in all the answers. Someone said, He's awesome. That's what I always think when someone asks me about God. He's awesome. God is peaceful, powerful, the creator of all things. Here's a great one. A young man said, he's everything. He's glorious and powerful. He's awesome and holy, and he can't have anything to do with the sinner unless the sinner is spotless with the blood of Jesus. And this is the best that I can say because God is in heaven and I'm not yet. That's good. God is love, cares for us, and is always by our side. You know, C.S. Lewis says we're to be like children. 
The Bible says we're to be like children. See, as Lewis says, we're to be like children, but that never meant that we were to remain children in the way that we think, but we're to grow up and keep that childlike heart. He wants us to have a child's heart with a grown-up head. That's what Malachi is looking for here. A childlike heart with a grown-up head. The priests, they had grown-up heads, but they'd lost their childlike heart. Instead of being eager to worship the God in the way that he had instructed them, we could say it like this, they were going to church, but they didn't remember who the God was that they were worshiping. So we're going we're gonna to ask three questions and give you the answers, and I think they're very important questions, very important answers, so I'm going to give it to you all up front, and then I'll, then I'll go through it as we go through the sermon. The first question is, what does God want? What does God want? particularly from his people, but from the world. He wants to be known, here's the answer, he wants to be known for who he is, because of who he is. That's what God wants. Why does God want it? Is it because he's just some ogre up there demanding respect? No. He wants it because he really does love us and it's for our good. And then lastly, why does it matter? It matters because it will determine how we live in the world that we are in presently. It matters because of who we will become. So let's answer those questions this morning. What does, let's give you some more detail to those answers. What does God want first? Look, at, look over a few verses here. At the beginning, a son honors his father, a servant, his master. Since God is both a father and a master, where is the fear or where is the respect? Specifically, asked of the priests who are despising his name. And that sounds kind of harsh. So the priests ask, how are we despising your name? And God gives an answer by offering unacceptable sacrifices polluted food on the altar when they offer blind animals that's evil when they offer sick sacrifices or the lame it's evil jump down to verse 12 he says you're profaning the lord's table you even say what a weariness this is they snort at it you bring what is taken by violence or lame or the sick and this is what you bring to me that is despising it's not only the priest look at verse 14 Cursed be the one who has an acceptable sacrifice. He promises to bring that acceptable sacrifice, yet brings to the Lord that which is blemished. That's how they're despising the Lord. From the outside looking in, you have to be aware, on a superficial level, the priests and the people, they were doing what they were supposed to do. They were doing what they were supposed to do. They weren't worshiping Baal. They weren't worshiping a false god. They hadn't imported pagan worship practices into the temple. But even in what they were doing, they weren't honoring, they weren't respecting God deep down in their hearts. There was a problem deep down. You see, the way this was supposed to happen, an Israelite would bring an offering to the temple. It could be a peace offering. It could be a sin offering. It could be a guilt offering. And after you brought those peace offerings or those sin offerings or those guilt offerings, it was followed by a meal. And that meal was symbolic of a genuine relationship with God. 
So they were coming to the temple and they were bringing these sacrifices so that they could fellowship with God. And the easiest part for them to obey was to simply bring the best of the flock, the best of the herd. The rule was very, very simple. This wasn't a hard rule. You don't bring the blind, you don't bring the lame, you don't bring the sick. You bring God the best because he deserves the best. Actually, God deserves everything, so representative of that is bring the right kind of offering. There were probably several in a flock. It wasn't like there was only one. The priests knew the laws by heart. The people knew the law. And it's very important to understand, they weren't simply making a mistake. They, they, they were actually trained. They knew what they were supposed to do. It wasn't because they didn't know or hadn't been taught. They were simply bringing second-rate offerings to God, and they knew it. And the question to ask is, why were they doing this? Why? I think there are several reasons from... from not only the passage here, but from the previous passage and other passages that we'll read in Malachi. First of all, they were bringing second-rate offerings because of unmet expectations. God didn't seem to show up like they thought he should. We learn from Ezra and Nehemiah that when they built the new temple, it wasn't, that all, it wasn't all that impressive. And many people cried and were sad. It's like, this isn't what it means to be one of God's people. Should be bigger, should be better. They also don't have a king like every other nation. They're just a weak little band of people living in a scary world and they didn't believe God was with them. Remember all those definitions of the children, that God is right there by our side, that he's always with us? They forgot because they had a different expectation of what that meant. There's another reason. Except for the burnt offering, all the other offerings, you realize part of the pay for the priests was part of the sacrifice, they were fed by these sacrifices. And I would guess, except for the sick ones, they all tasted the same. A meal was a meal. The priests needed to eat. And they were worried, concerned, that if I have to send this guy back and get a, good, get a, get a right sacrifice, I may not get a meal today. They were insecure. Or maybe they were just selfish. You put these two things together. You don't believe God is present. You don't believe God is active. You're insecure in your relationship with who God is and how he views them. Or we're just simply selfish. You take those two together and it's really hard to tell people the truth. It's really hard to tell people what God demands or asks or prefers when you're worried about yourself. The priest caves and the people learned that it was okay. Look at verse eight. Present these offerings to your governor, a human, a human being. Do this with a real person, with real influence, with real power, supposedly. Someone who had the ability to make them happy or sad. Someone they saw who was important. They would not do this in front of them. It is true, is it not? that it's easy to take for granted God's presence with us. 
God is a great king. God is all-powerful. God is present. God loves us with a sacrificial love. And he wants to be worshipped for who he is. And I realized, as I was studying this, I I did ask myself, God, why can't you cut him some slack? Why is this so important to God? Why does God say it's so important it would be better for a priest to close the doors and not do it? Why Why is God making a big deal out of this? Well, he created us. He's our creator. He formed us. He knew us before we were born. And he also knows that we all worship something or someone. We are worshiping beings. Whatever it is we worship orders our priorities, and our priorities determine who we become. I don't have time to prove all that to you. Greg Beale wrote a book, We Become What We Worship, based off of Psalm 115. But it is very true, and all you have to do is think about it. Whatever you think is most important to you, you're going to prioritize. And whatever it is that prioritizes your life is going to make you into the people that you, that you want to be or that you think you want to be. God loves us. The reason why this is important to God is because he loves us too much to allow us either to have a superficial relationship with him or a hypocritical relationship with him or a false relationship with him because he wants us to know him, to have a deep and real relationship because our our relationship with him determines everything else about our lives. I don't have time to prove that. I'd be glad to prove that. And if you don't believe that, please come see me. But whatever it is we worship forms us into the people that we are going to become. It's the one that, it, it, it's, it's what drives the way we relate with people. It's what drives our, our priorities. It what makes us do the things that we do. So here's the issue. Here's the issue. Their view of God was wrong. Something happened. And this is what I don't want to happen in this church. These young people that have right answers about who God is, if they watch their parents or they watch their leaders or they watch their pastors or if they watch the other people in the church not taking seriously who God is, they will begin to believe it themselves. Their view of God was wrong, which led to disordered priorities. And disordered priorities make for a disordered people. I'm going to share with you a a real story that is true. I've changed the names and the sport to protect the innocent. And I I almost didn't do it because it's going to step on a lot of people's toes here this morning. Possibly. I I hope so. The right people. But but a, a few years ago, I had a phone call from a father who was a part of a different church in a different place. Changed the sexes as well, so you don't know really what I'm talking about, okay? But he had a boy, and if I told you to change sex, that means it's a girl, but, so maybe he had a girl. He was really good, I mean, he was good in soccer. I mean, he was, he better than, I don't know who's here, but he's better than anybody here in soccer. And he went on to uh, get a scholarship at a D1 program that's actually good in soccer. 
in his first year, he tore out his knee. Tore out his knee so bad that he couldn't play soccer. And he went downhill. Went downhill in all sorts of respects, not in just soccer. His father called me up a few years ago. His father said, I don't know what we've done wrong. I'll use um, Jack. Jack quit school. Jack quit going to church. Jack started using drugs. And his father, brokenhearted on the phone, even wanted to fly over here to talk to me. Brokenhearted on the phone said, I don't know what we've done, but I know we've done something. And I did. I talked to him, look, you, you, you can't beat yourself up. You can't do all these things. And over the course of several weeks as I was talking to him, one of the things that I had to say to this man was, I need your forgiveness. And he goes, why? I said, because I noticed those last three years uh, when your son was, was going around to all the travel squads and doing all those things in soccer, you never came to church. And I know you're going to have an argument about church and worshiping God's not the same thing. Yeah, it is. It is. And I said, I have to apologize to you because I knew it was going on and I should have said something to you. I should have said that you're sending a message to your son that there are other things that matter more important than their relationship with God. And I don't know if that would have made any difference at all. I didn't even claim that. But I was responsible to say, no, your relationship to God is the most important thing and you are to bring him the best each and every Sunday. Because if you don't, you're sending a message to the people that God really doesn't matter or there are other things that matter more. And I am here to tell you, it's a lie. Because our relationship with God determines everything else about us. The simple point here, and this is what we need to take away, the simple point here is we can gauge our own hearts. We can think about how we are viewing, viewing and understanding God by the priorities that we have. And by the way, the response is not, hear me, for most of you, the response is not, oh, I'm a terrible person. There were other people that Malachi was speaking to and they were actually bringing good offerings. I'm sure there were a few priests there that wanted to close the doors. You see, the call for us, everyone in this room, whether you know Jesus Christ, whether you don't know Jesus Christ, is to entreat the favor of God that he would be gracious to us. You know what that means? It means entreat the favor, the mercy, the love of God that she, he would show us grace, that he would show us more of who he is, his love for us, so that we would want to worship him in the way that he desires. And you think about the responses that God is after here. There are some of us, I believe, in this room, I do not know who you are, who genuinely have a hard heart and need to repent. You've come to worship for the wrong reasons and you're just kind of bringing half yourself. You do need to repent. But you'll get that next week. It gets really harsh for the people that don't repent. But that's not most of the people here this morning. I know you. I know most of you. I don't know all of you. That's not most of the people. Other people just simply haven't thought about it like they need to. It's really hard to think about coming to worship. 
It's really hard to get all your kids ready. It's really hard to to do a lot of these things. And you probably haven't paid attention to what it is you're doing here. And God's not mad at you. He just wants you to entreat the favor of the Lord and think about why it is we worship. What it is we worship. Who it is we worship. And what's happening in worship. That's, That's one group. There's another group here that I do want to recognize. That is the faithful. There are people, there are men and women that I know that come to church every Sunday as much as they can, unless they're sick, unless they go out of town, and then they're trying to find someplace else to worship. And then they come back and tell us how we ought to do things because they did something there. It's like, whatever. Um, But they genuinely want to worship God for who he is. And the call is still the same. Continue to entreat the favor, the mercy, the love of God that he would show us grace so that we would continue to grow and see more and more of who he is so that we would continue to grow in our understanding and our worship that God would be gracious to us. You see, God is not concerned about rule keeping. That's not the big deal here. God is concerned about our hearts God is concerned about who we are as people and he wants to change us and he actually wants to make us better than we can ever imagine we can be on our own. That's what God wants. That's why God wants to be worshiped the way he says. It's not because he's a petty God that just demands things. It's for our good. He wants us to know him better and when you have a right view of God, everything else falls into place. Why does all this matter? The third question. The short answer is because of our future. Verse 11, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And every, look how, look how many times my name is stated. Every place incense will be offered to my name. For my name will be great among the nations. The last uh, verse, I am a great king and my name will be feared and respected among the nations. The name denotes God's presence. The name denotes all that he is, everything about him, and it communicates his identity, his character, his significance, his power, his presence, and his authority. And for the people of Malachi's day, the the name coming pointed to the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is what had to hold them for the 400 years before the coming of Christ. Philippians 2, therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, something you wouldn't naturally put together in this passage and even in the next passage, embedded in the Hebrew with all sorts of words, it would have reminded an Old Testament follower of God it would have reminded them of number six. It would have reminded them of the benediction that we're going to use this morning that we use many, many mornings. It would have reminded them of the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you, to be gracious to you, to lift up his face and give you peace. That's what you would hear over and over at the temple. When you offered a sacrifice, that's what the priest would say. When you came, that's what the priest would say. You know what's right after that verse when Moses is telling Aaron, I mean, when God is telling Moses and Aaron, this is how you're to bless the people? In the verse after that, in verse 27, he says this, this is how you put my name upon the people. 
right now in worship, when we come with hearts attuned to who God is, God is placing his name upon you. The name of the king is placed on us and God wants his name placed on us because that's what enables us to live in the world in a way that shows the world God's glory. We change, we grow, we become more like Christ because as we honor God, as we grow in our understanding of who God is as he's presented in this word, not as we grow in our understanding of God in our own mind, how we think he ought to treat us, how we think he ought to do things. I was reading reading Wendell Berry um, over the week. I don't know if you know Wendell Berry or not, but he said, for all these people that want God to show up, I don't think they really know what they're asking because when God does show up, it's gonna be so overwhelmingly beautiful and terrible that you probably ought to think about the God that you wanna meet. A relationship with God sets everything else in its proper context. When you're right with God, when you're seeking to follow him for who he is, not who you want him to be, then we understand who we are. And as we understand our own hearts, as we understand our own strengths, as we understand our own weaknesses, we can then have actual good relationships with other people. We can learn from them. We can help them. And together we better understand our world. It's not only that, but we better understand whatever situation and whatever circumstance we may be a part of in this world if you understand the God who loves you. I don't know if Wes brought this out. I didn't get a chance to listen. I'm sorry, Wes. But you can view, your, you can view God's love for you based on your circumstances and situations. You can do that. And you're not gonna think God loves you. Because many of your circumstances and situations most of the time are not what, they want, not what you want it to be. Is that not right? I mean, I know some of you just got married and you're like, great, God loves you. But, but wait a couple of years. It's going to be hard. Here's the story. You're going to think this is dumb, but this shows you how bad I am and how good I can be. 20 years ago, when I got a nail in my tire, you can ask Josie, I was a miserable human being. 20 years ago, if I got a nail in my tire on Saturday afternoon, I would have blown a gasket. I'd have yelled at Josie because it wasn't her fault, but she's closest. I'd have said, oh, I got to get this fixed now because, oh, what happens if I can't get to church tomorrow, right? And I would have found somebody to blame for leaving a nail probably at the car cleaner place where I went to try to get my car cleaned. I looked at the nail in my car yesterday. First of all, before that, I was viewing God's love for me. I know this is dumb, but you just take it to whatever you're dealing with. I was viewing, you need to, we need to be dumb because we need to have a child's heart. I was viewing God's love for me based on whether or not he let a nail go into my tire because I believe God's that big. He didn't, he could have stopped that nail, but he didn't. So God doesn't love me because now I gotta go fix a tire. At least I can say, this shows you how poor I am, but at least with the tire, I can say, well, if it's not flat in the morning, I'll drive it. If it's flat in the morning, I'll take Josie's car and I'll get Nan to pick her up and it'll be a nuisance, but we'll make it. I'm wondering right now if that tire's gonna be flat and if it is, so what? 
because I view that nail in my tire based on God's love for me. He obviously wants me to have that nail in the tire so I can figure out who I need to be and fix all those stupid things that I need to fix about myself. You can do that with anything and everything, and it matters with your family going poorly, your relationships going poorly, your marriage going poorly. You think about it in terms of God's love, and it changes the way you address the situation. It's the most important thing that we have to do, and the most important thing that that priestly people have to do is to know the God who loves us, to know him with a child's heart but with a grown-up head so that we can actually serve all those other people that don't know Jesus Christ. What does God want? He wants us to know him as he is because he is so good and so great and so powerful. He is the king. Why does God want that? Because he loves us. And why does it matter? Because the way we respond to the God who puts things in our lives changes us, forms us, and makes us into the people that we're called to be. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a great God. We thank you for the God who, who you show us to be in your word. Help us not to be arrogant. Help us not to be presumptuous. Help us not to be critical, but help us to see your love for your people. Help us to see your love for this world. Help us to see you and know you for who you are so that we could become the men and women that you've called us to be. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him that we can know you more than even these Old Testament saints. Use us now in this church to bring honor to your name. Amen. Those who are helping with the Lord's Supper, would you please come forward?